Welcome to Flagged, a podcast that unpacks a topic each episode, identifying the glaring red, nuanced orange, and hopeful greens. My name is Helen Karakulak, and I'm an Adelaide-based journalist joined by a variety of guests to cover realities of relationships, career development, and complexities of conflict that turned their worlds upside down. From the gritty to the glittery, this is Flagged. Joining me today is Catherine Sortini, a South Australian performer and founder of Deus Ex Femina, a local politically charged theatre company. Most recently, Deus Ex Femina put on a production called Baby What Blessings at the Adelaide Fringe Festival and has a new project in development called All the Things I Couldn't Say. In addition to her work with Deus Ex Femina, Catherine has been involved in a number of other shows and I most recently saw her in the South Australian Playwrights Theatre's production of Watchlist at the Bakehouse Theatre. Catherine and I discuss storytelling and the magic of theatre, as well as unpacking all of her red, orange and green flags that she's come across in her career so far. Thank you for joining me. That's okay. Thank you for having me. So to get started, can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been performing and what drew you to theatre? I guess professionally, I have been performing since I graduated. So that was in at the end of 2018. Um but I've been performing <laughs> all my life. Um, when I was younger, I used to make up, you know, little shows and little narratives and songs and stuff. And I used to perform them with my cousins, you know, at my nonna's house and stuff like that. And I thought I was going to be Hannah Montana and I'm not, and that's fine. I'm over it, but <laughs> I thought I was going to be. Um, when I was in high school, I was thinking about what I wanted to do and, a lot of my friends were choosing um, career choices that were maybe a little bit more straightforward or like, you know, that had very clear career opportunities. So like nursing and stuff like that. And I went, oh, okay, well, I better do that because that's what you have to do to survive um, in the world. Um, You know, get money, have a job, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so I actually put like in your space, I put forward to do a double degree in psychology and criminology and I was going to study to be a forensic psychologist and I got a high enough ATAR to get into the program that I wanted to get into and the day before I saw that Flinders had this like drama course that you had to audition so I just put my name up and I put it as my first preference it was like the most last minute decision ever and I got this email about auditioning and I auditioned and then I got in and then I was just like I think this is the universe telling me that I should be a performer um so I think in that regard I was always drawn to performance but I think it was really that last minute choice that had been brewing in me for quite some time that drew me to the theatre and really sort of like unleashed I'm going to say because it was always there but unleashed this passion for live performance um through my training I did drama in high school, so I did drama all through high school, like just the class, but I was never brave enough to ask my parents to um, pay for lessons or anything like that. I was also um, basically a professional soccer player for um, most of my life. Um, It wasn't until first year uni that I tore my ACL that I stopped. So I was training five days a week, six days a week. I was playing two days a week. So there wasn't really a lot of time for me to pursue anything else. Um, And I was playing at quite an elite level. So like state, like going interstate, playing, you know, playing with people who play for Australia and stuff like that. So. Wow. That's really cool. So you're quite the jack of all trades then, aren't you? You've done a little bit of a lot. I have. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Um, I, I, my, I'm Italian. And so um, my 
family were always really interested in soccer and I was really interested um, in sport because I thought that the community and the teamwork around it was really, really awesome and, like, getting on the field and winning and sort of, like, you can't sort of beat that feeling. Um, And I was playing soccer and netball and there was one time where I was getting quite good at both and my parents were like, you just have to decide a sport. And I chose soccer because that's what my family was playing at the time. Um, But then, yeah, I stopped to do acting. So do you think that those elements of teamwork and that sense of community that you found in sport are the same types of things that drew you to theatre? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, People always ask me when I talk about myself now that I'm a little bit older and I've done a bit of work, they go, why don't you go, you know, sort of are you interested in film and TV? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm interested in it and I, I, you know, would love to be in things and I do love being in things. But there's just something about people coming together in a room and watching something and sort of dispending their belief to be like, we know that this isn't actually happening, but we're going to pretend that it is happening and we're all going to sit here and we're going to laugh and we're going to cry. And there's something about that sort of unity and that community that I just, I adore, I love, and it's the reason why I do it as well. So you've started your own theatre company called Deus Ex Femina. Can you talk me through how that came about? Or the idea of it started when I graduated. And I was going to put on a feminist version version of Richard III. Um, and it was like this huge it – was, it was pretty cool, actually. But um, l- little did I know you need a lot of funding to put on that particular production. Um, but, yeah, I was going to put on a feminist version of Richard III. Um, but I ended up getting hired by other theatre companies and other people. And, and I just forgot that. That was something that I really wanted to do. Um, but it was all there, like it was all set up. Um, but then I didn't really start putting on my own work or investing in my making my own work until 2020. Um, so even though it was still there, I guess it had a birthing in 2020, if that makes sense. So did that come out of a lot of other theatre being on hold because of COVID? I was really fortunate where a lot of my theatre projects didn't actually get I didn't lose a, like heaps of work um, because I was in Gaslight, which was the first state theatre show that came out of COVID. So it was at Her Majesty's Theatre. It was really, really fabulous. I think the only one that got moved was Watchlist to the following year. Um, but I worked a lot of the COVID lockdown and I think but going to a job where I wasn't creating or I didn't feel like I was really creating or I didn't feel like whatever that feeling is that I get when I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to tell this story. I wasn't really getting a lot of that. And I just thought, but I also, it was like a time of self-reflection where I was like, I love doing other people's work and I love collaborating and I love being a person in the room, but also I want to make my own work. And I've been putting off making my own work to be in other people's work. And that's so cool because you've got to pay the bills, but also where's my voice? Like where's my, where did my drive go to create my own and tell my own stories and I think I really found that that was what was really important and that's really why I made the company in the first place. So I did take a look at your theatre company online and a lot to do with its online presence is very centred around you. It's all about your writing and your work and what you've done creatively which is great but I was wondering when it comes to this upcoming show that you're putting on did you write it individually? Was it a collaborative effort? What does that look like? show that I'm doing at the moment is something called All the Things I Couldn't Say and it's inspired by the Unsent Project, which is this website by Rora Blue and 
people send in messages to their first love and it could be anything. It could be romantic, platonic, it could be a mum, your dog, whatever. And I found it because I was looking for a phone case and um, I can't pronounce this case to five. Oh, case to five. Yeah, yes. yeah I, I recognise that. Yeah. I see them everywhere. And they had a collaboration with the Unsent Project and I remember just seeing these stickers on the back of like on the website on the back of these phone cases and it was like, I will always love you. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. Like who is saying this? Like people don't say that to people anymore. I don't know. I haven't heard anything like that. So I, I, I sort of went balls deep into this website and it was just so beautiful and heartbreaking and just it really was just like super, super interesting and I was I just started getting really curious about why people were sending these messages in. Why weren't they just sending it to the people that they were addressed to? Um, and like when you go on the website, there's also like a little tab that's comparison. So there might be someone like from K to D and there might, might be one that's like from D to K and you can see that they're like connected. Um, and I was just like, well, why didn't they just – maybe they did, I don't know, but why didn't they just – um text or call each other and say that and what's stopping them and why and that was really a really interesting um subsection of that and then I was just like I could make a show about this I could get people to submit just messages that they've never sent um and we could devise stuff around it and it doesn't even have to be text-based it can be movement it could be singing it could be anything so I'm actually working with a team of eight different performers and I'm going to I'm not going to perform in this one I'm going to be the director or the overseer the lead creative and I'm going to throw submissions at them that people have submitted on my website and they're just going to come up with a story and then eventually we will link I'll pick like the most or the ones that flow the best dramaturgically or the ones that are my favorite maybe six or seven and we'll make a a storyline out of it so it's not I guess I'm I'm leading it, but I'm not writing it at all. It's really these beautiful eight performers that are going to do all the hard work for me. That's really interesting. So thinking about that concept of unsaid, I actually saw a meme really recently that was like, if he's got you writing messages out in your notes app, he's not the one. Is that humor something that will come into play, or do you think it will a bit more be a bit more serious in tone in terms of those feelings that people might feel too vulnerable when they say them out loud? I hope it's a bit of everything like I, I do like that sort of meme and that sort of um, scenario is super funny and I really love that so I, I hope I can incorporate it but um, some of the submissions that we've received already have been quite heartbreaking and um, I want to include that too I believe in like honesty and transparency like that's how I sort of live my life and it's how I live in a lot of my relationships of like it might be a hard thing to say but I'm going to say I'm going to speak my truth and hopefully you will respect that at least I'm being honest even if it's hard Um, and so I'm just really curious as to the reasoning behind people not saying stuff and I'm sure that they've got great reasons and stuff but I just think that it's really interesting Um, so I hope it is light-hearted and funny but I also hope that it's people walk away I guess thinking about that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting concept. 
In terms of the theatre company overall, you describe it as politically charged, and I think theatre can be, but isn't always politically charged. Do you feel that, particularly in 2021, there's a greater need for accessible art that tells stories either of characters that are disproportionately represented in other spaces, or feelings that do often go unsaid? So not necessarily specific just to this show, but in terms of topics or themes that we don't often see in the media. Yes. I do, and I believe it with my whole heart. Um, I think that stories have the ability to change the world. I really do believe that. And there have been so many times where I've seen a movie or a theatre show and it has changed my perspective forever, you know. Um, so I think that every, if possible, every story from every perspective should be told. Um, but really stories from people who don't have the ability to have a voice or who the ability to have a voice isn't as easy um, for other pe- as other people. And I think that coming, you know, having this particular theatre company, one of my goals that I'm realising now is I really, really want to be that per- be a person that can empower people who maybe don't have the ability or maybe don't have the means to tell their story, to be able to tell their story. Um, And I really think that that's one of my big passions as well. So, yeah, I do think that stories um, or, you know, stories about different voices, different perspectives are so important. And And I hope that as we move on, especially in our landscape, that those stories continue to be put at the forefront and continue to be um, funded and made by the creators and the voices that can tell those stories. Yeah, definitely. I think it's. I think you can learn a lot from theatre and mm. from even movies and TV shows that tackle some of these topics. Um, I mean, even just thinking about Watchlist, which you're in, um, in terms of how that sort of played into these ideas of like the Extinction Rebellion um, and sort of what they stand for and animal cruelty and that whole thing. There was a lot in there that um, I walked out of that show thinking, like really thinking about it. And me and my friend were like, wow, we can, like we know those kinds of activists and, um, but it's almost as if bridging the gap of understanding because we're not actually involved in that kind of activism ourselves. So I think it's a really interesting concept of being able to sort of introduce these maybe bigger things or these specific areas or issues that people might not be aware of and to be able to introduce it through theatre is actually super accessible. Yeah, yeah, because not everyone learns by reading a full essay. I know I don't, you know, it's hard. I get bogged down and I'm just like, I don't even know what I'm reading and they're using all these fancy words and I don't understand. And I think telling stories has been a, you know, tool for sharing for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and there's a reason why it's still so entertaining and important today is because it it does work. You can go and you can see something and it's like, you know, a full-on immersive experience and it's fabulous. Also, theatre, you can do anything in the theatre. You can create any world. You can create any story. You can create a world like I'm going to go see Hibernation and um, I don't know a lot about the play because I don't want to because I want to go see it but it's set – it's about climate change and it's set in, I think, 2020. I don't, I'm actually not sure, but I know that it's set in the future. And I'm just like, they're going to put that on stage. And it does that world doesn't exist, like, in this 
reality that world doesn't exist, but I'm going to go see it. And then that reality for that hour or for those two hours is going to exist. And they can show me anything about any world. And that's really exciting. Yeah. I, I'm going to see hibernation too. I'm very excited. I'm seeing tonight? it tomorrow night. So um, I can't wait. But I'm seeing it tonight. <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. It should be really good. I've, I mean, I've already heard good things about it. Great. And state theater company is always impressive. Yes. And I think in terms of what you can do on a stage to bring someone into that world in terms of like set design and, yeah. um, and costume and things like that, like there's so much that can be done. I'm super into costume design as well. And um, a lot of the time for my characters, I create a whole like lookbook for them and uh, that I'll, um, apart from Gaslight, because it was all period, they designed and made my costumes for me, which was really, really lovely. But, you know, every sort of show I'm just like, I think this is what I would like. Um, but I'm I'm a super collaborative person. So if someone's just like, I hate that, I'll be like, oh, okay, we won't do that then. I want, you know, I want us to be happy with the, with the product that we have. So I think in my shows or when I'm creating, I do have an opinion, like I am – uh, a factor in the last decision but I'm also like I love trusting the experts like they know they've done the research they know how to sew I don't so if they're like hey we can't make it like that I'm just gonna be like yeah cool so obviously this podcast is called flagged so I do have a few flagged questions for you so the first one is do you have any red flags that you discovered early on that you can share regarding the theater industry so whether that's around treatment of performers the costs associated with putting on a show working for exposure anything like that that you've discovered throughout your career that you now consider a red flag yeah that's such a good question um my personal red flags were and i think it's only really come into this theatre sphere very, very recently, but it's about intimacy and it's about intimacy coordinators. And these are a new thing like stage fighting coordinators that they come in and they choreograph intimate scenes. So on Watchlist we had an intimacy coordinator because there was a lot of physical touching, there was a lot of kissing. Um, And whenever someone doesn't agree to have an intimacy coordinator, for me that's automatically a red flag. I'm like, I don't know, like I feel like – because in like – we're putting on a story and we want everyone to feel safe and we want everyone to feel the best that they can so that they can, you know, basically be as vulnerable as they can. Um, so if they're – as soon as someone's not on board with that, I'm just a bit like, well, why Why aren't you on board with that? Because it would be the same as choreographing a stage fight and you wouldn't ask me to have a sword and, like, just go and, like, try to stab someone. So yeah. I don't – like, I wouldn't expect – some like and I would never expect um, me to ask, hey, um, I feel like they're about to, you know, go to bed together. Can you just like make up something physical that like, no, it would always be making sure that everyone's safe. So I, I've been in some situations where that's happened and I've just been like, no, I'm not doing this <laughs> essentially. Um, and also m- making sure that everyone else in the room is just like, are we cool with this? No, we're not. Great. Um, so that's a huge red flag. And also like, intimacy coordinator the role I think is only like a year and a year and a half old like it's really new and tv shows are starting to do it I know Michaelia Coles I May Destroy You had an intimacy coordinator and she did an interview basically saying that one of the she said one of the main reasons that she felt like 
you know, not that the show was successful, that but the, the process was really beautiful. Was because she had an intimacy coordinator, and it was it was about it's about sexual assault, and she just said that having that person there to make sure that everyone was safe was just like it freed me. It made me able to basically be the best actor and also writer that I could be. Um, so that's one of my red flags. In terms of payment i think anything that doesn't have a contract or anything that's not in writing to me is a red flag um because you can do profit shares like the meaa has profit shares which is basically where all of the cast or the company split the profits of the show um, but that needs to be upfront and that needs to be really transparent so you get that contract being like do you agree to do this as a profit share and you go yes i do i sign my contract anyone who doesn't bring that up or anyone who isn't transparent with that i'm like no like what is the payment if there is no payment that's like you know either that's cool or that's not cool I can't afford to do it but why aren't I think that transparency of payment and transparency about what you're getting and having it in writing is so important and I know so many artists who have gotten burnt essentially because they didn't have it in writing and then you know the production company took this much and they only got x amount um, and there's a lot of like rules with profit shares where you know you have to be transparent with the budget you have to be transparent with you know, sort of what the income is and blah, blah, blah. So that people know that they're not being cheated or that they're not, you know, getting ripped off essentially. You mentioned the MEAA, which is the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance. Now, that's not specific to theatre. They have resources for all types of different um, media and entertainments and arts employees, even as a journalist, like there are lots of different resources that you can check out on their website um, surrounding awards rates and uh, sort of things that you should know about um and knowing your rights so as a performer when you were first getting started is that something that you were aware of existed or is that something that you kind of had to figure out yourself along the way yeah that's a great question um my particular course we had the meaa come in and they do a meeting with the fourth year so the fourth year is the last year of the degree um and that's where you're like getting an agent and you're doing your showcase and doing your grad show um so they come in and I think we had um, we had um, Aaron, who's one of the people that work at MEAA. Um, we had him in for a day, I think, or we had him in twice. But also you can bring in um, the MEAA on any production at the start of the production to be like, these are your rights, blah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I knew about my rights and stuff from the beginning but I guess there is something about being an emerging performer and wanting to please and wanting to get work that sometimes you will sacrifice maybe your rights to get a credit or something. Um, and what I really liked about our chat was that they were pretty much just like follow the rules. And if and if that particular thing is not following the rules, you probably don't want to be a part of it. So do you think because of that, we are going to start seeing a shift away from this narrative around working for exposure as more and more people are aware of their working rights? I think so. I think, I hope, so. I don't think, like I've never worked for free before. Like I've always had a contract and stuff, like I've done profit shares and stuff like that. Um, and if you are going to work for free, you just have to make sure that you're doing it and it's your decision and you know that that's the work that you're doing for free, you know. But I think that there is a shift. I think there's a shift now. Like 
I remember talking to someone who had written a play and it was um, a little bit of time ago and the, the play was like over sort of like three to four years and they were talking about when they first wrote it how they would just invite their friends over and they would do these workshops and they would give them, you know, pizza and wine and stuff like that. And even though that stuff does happen and I, even I do, I'm just like, come over, read this play of mine and I'll give you wine. And But these are my friends, you know, they're supporting me. But sh- they were like, I'm not sure if I could what I did sort of two years ago, I'm actually not sure if I can do that now or if I want to because it it was like it wasn't completely like no one got paid for their time and stuff like that. Um, and I sort of try my hardest to get funding so I can pay all of my artists the MEAA rates um, and if not that are definitely an honorarium for their time, enough for that week that they can live off of. But there's also that thing of like the arts doesn't have a lot of funding so what what is the correct thing to do? It's I think that it's a really interesting conversation um, and I don't I don't know what the answer is. I like for my all the things I couldn't say I've got funding so my artists will be paid that wage and that's fantastic and I'm so thrilled um but there is a version of that where they where they're not or where I didn't get that funding and then I have to think to myself okay well can I do the show and if I can't if I don't have funding and I can't do the show then does the show just sort of cease to exist I'm not sure Moving on to green flags, what is the biggest green flag that you couldn't recommend enough to young people wanting to get into the arts or creative industries? Reach out to artists. Just reach out to them. I was so scared to reach out to anyone when I first started because I thought I was like this little annoying, um, little emerging baby and that I would annoy them just with my presence. And that is not true. Anyone who ever contacts me, I'm just thrilled. Like I'm just so thrilled that they've contacted me. Um, I remember someone telling me a story about this person and they had dropped in a resume to a theatre company and the theatre company auditioned them. And I was like, that's really awesome. Like send emails, you know. Um, ask people to sit in on – like I've got someone sitting in on my all I, all the things I couldn't say development. Um, just to sit in because they want to know what it's like to be in a room. They want to get that experience. I'm like, yeah, come on. Like there's room for everyone. Um, and I think that we get scared that maybe some of the more professional or successful artists don't have the time and that's or don't want to do it. And that's true. Sometimes they are very busy and they don't have the time. But actually chances are they want to also support emerging artists. They want to help and and educate the next lot of artists coming through. So I think the biggest green flag and every single person actually that I've emailed has always been like, this is so exciting, yes. This is so exciting, I'm sorry I'm not available. And that's the worst thing that they can say is sorry I'm not available or it doesn't work or blah, 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 you know. Um, but n- no one was ever mean to me. No one was ever rude. Everyone was so lovely and so just excited that I was doing something or that I was making something. Um, So that's one of my really big green flags. My other one is just go and see work. Um, The theatre foyer is such an interesting place to be and I'm not saying go up like and annoy people, but just go and see work and if you're really inspired by what you've seen, 
you know, when the actors are coming out, be like, hey, that was really cool. Thank you so much for your work. And that person, whenever someone's ever done that to me, I've always remembered that. I've gone, that's so lovely. Like, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come and tell me that, you know. Um, So go and see work. Go see what excites you. Go and collaborate with the people or the artists whose work you relate to. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good advice. So I assume then that you agree that uh, mentorship is a really important part of the arts industry and developing your career as an emerging artist? Yes, I do. And I also think that it is so important. I'm I'm a mentor. Um, I've got a mentee. And um, through this program that Flinders do, it's called Stamp. And they were just asking me like, for a production, you know, what is my budget? What do I, like, in terms of marketing, what should I budget for as an independent? And just those sorts of things that people don't really explain to you. Um, I was able to be like, oh, well, this is what I budgeted and this is what I think, this is where I think you could, you know, sort of put advertising money. This is where I think that maybe it doesn't work so well. That's just my experience. But, you know, she had a person that she that has done that and she was able to go, hey, you know, what's this? And I was able to give her an answer, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you get so much more out of that as well, speaking to someone who's actually done it and actually done the budgeting recently. Yeah. Whereas like, even if you Googled a topic like that, you might get like 50 listicles from different sources that you don't totally know how reliable they are and like a whole bunch of other things that might just end up confusing you further. Yeah. So being able to speak to a real person and say, hey, what was your experience? That's invaluable. Yeah, it is. So obviously you mentioned earlier that it was a bit of a last minute decision for you to actually go into audition and um, pursue performing arts. So one of the other questions I had for you were, have you had any sort of fork in the road experiences that are kind of orange warning flags that could have gone either way that have shaped your career so far? Would you say that was one of them? Yes. Like I remember getting the script and sort of learning it like it wasn't a great – like, I did it and I did know all the words, but it was, like, you know, the day – like, two days before I had to learn, like, two monologues. So it was a hustle and it definitely was – this could go – it was really this could go either way. It could be really good or it could be really, really terrible. And I think I was scared because I'd been wanting to be a performer for my whole – like, I loved it. Um, but like I said, I didn't have the time really to pursue it. And I think I was scared that if I did go ahead with it and I didn't get in, that my dreams would be basically crushed. Um, so, that, But there was a potential there where they said no and I was just like, well, I'm never, ever, ever in my life going to be a performer. And that actually would have been – I don't think I would have pursued it if I hadn't gotten in. So I that's why I, that moment is such an integral moment to me in my career because I always look back and I go – yeah, I did that and I did that because I thought it was the right decision to make but also I felt like maybe, I'm not gonna, like maybe the universe but like maybe the universe was telling me that that was also the right decision to make. Um, and I remember getting through the, I like honestly I went in with like no hope um, and I remember doing the first audition and it was quite a funny piece and everyone was laughing in my audition day and I remember people getting up and, and clapping um, after I had finished and it was my first ever performance really and I just remember going, I think, I think I'm okay at this, like I think I can do this and from that moment on I was like, oh, I really want this. Um, so, uh, yeah, 100%, that moment is so integral. 
That's super cool. So obviously after doing it for a while, I imagine your confidence would have only increased in terms of getting up on stage and being able to do it without feeling like if I mess <laughs> up, this is the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but do you think that in terms of the feeling that you get when you perform, has that stayed the same from that first audition to now? Yeah, I think it has. And I think I think it depends on the piece. Like some pieces I maybe have struggled with more, so I feel more nervous about it. But opening night, like nothing beats opening night, you know. Like it's the first crowd or if you have done previews, but really it's the first crowd. Normally there's industry members in the audience. There's probably your family there or your friends um, or people in the industry that you're friends with. And they've really like rocked up to support you and just to be like, yay, this is going to be an amazing show. Amazing. Um, And so being backstage and also being backstage with the crew that you're with and just being like, we've put in four to five to eight weeks, depending on the schedule of rehearsal. We've showed up every day and we've decided to tell this story. And tonight is the night that we get to do that. Tonight is what we've been working so hard for. Nothing will ever beat that. And I, I don't think it changes for me. Every show I just go, yes, can't wait let's do it. And I get really, really nervous. And then I get on stage and I say my first line. And as soon as I say my first line, I'm like, yeah, I know my lines. Cause there's always that thing of like, Oh, do I know my lines? Like, I'm not sure if I know my lines. I think I know my lines, but maybe I think that I think that I know my lines, but I actually don't. And then I say my first line and I'm like, amazing. Let's get on it boys. You know, sort of <laughs> yeah. thing. So we've spoken quite a bit about your upcoming show, all the things I couldn't say. So where can people find out more about the show and about your company? So um, if you follow my Facebook page, which is Deus Ex Femina Theatre, or if you follow my Instagram, Deus Ex Femina Theatre, I will be updating that when I have more information. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Ghana people, and we pay our respects to elders past and present. We also acknowledge the country that you are joining us from and pay our respects to any other Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flagged. If you'd like to support the show, subscribe or follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review if you're feeling kind and check out our socials. That's flagged underscore pod on Instagram and at flagged pod on Twitter. If you love the show, let us know.